0: Buddy, thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG network. I'm of course your host Jeff Morton. Um, okay, now we're uh, past the All Star game. We've got uh, three more days left of the break until Nuggets resume play. Um, here's here's the deal, and I and I think I'm definitely, from what I can glean on Twitter, I am in the minority on this opinion but this is one thing that i hope people understand and this is the i'm only going to spend one segment on this the second segment's going to be about something else so um i think the nuggets and this is a couple things occurred to me while we were in this break one how relieved and how smiley nikola jokic was Primarily because he had his buddy Luka Doncic there, but uh, in a sense that how relaxed he was and how uh, it made me understand how just how little Jokic has really smiled this year. Um, you know, I talked about it earlier in the season, but he seemed like tense and irritable earlier in the year. And um I think one of the things that I'm very cognizant of lately is that Jokic is one of those NBA players that needs to be feeling good in order to play good. He needs to—he's he's more vibes-based than most uh, players I've followed in Nuggets history. Um, as far as that goes, I'm not going to make any sort of judgment other than the fact that it's Nikola Jokic kind of thing. Um, he needs to feel like things are good. And one of the things that have been, has been stacked against the Nuggets this year is, is quite fun. And people don't like, here's the minority opinion here. Uh, the Nuggets just aren't as good as they were last year. Um, the, the team losing Bruce Brown specifically has made this team worse credit to, to Calvin Booth for getting Bruce Brown last year. Um, because he made the team better. Um, them not having Bruce Brown has done something to the team that I think has gone underrated. And it was really essayed in the three-game losing streak that they had after they beat the Lakers last week. And it was something that I think people still aren't really fully absorbing into their consciousness. And it's that this team, one of the things they need is a dog. And if there's anything that Bruce Brown brought, even with the bench still struggling last year, one of the things that Bruce Brown brought was he had that intangible dogness to him. You know, if that's a if that's an expression, Um, he was able to do something um, that no other player on this team was able to do. He added a, uh, and you know, forgive the analogy here, but he added a Kenyon Martin thing to this Denver Nuggets team. They needed what he brought, and what he brought was the toughness and the dog that, quite frankly, no one left on this roster has. They're trying to project it onto Peyton Watson. He is not that way. They're project trying to project it the Christian Brown. He is not that way. The chemistry and makeup of this team is fundamentally different, and it's primarily because uh, uh, Bruce Brown's not here. A little bit because of a uh, little bit of Jeff Green, but as, as we've seen with Jeff Green, it's, he contributed so little – last year that it wasn't about maybe maybe it was about him more being a veteran than anything else and and what he provided to the bench uh with in combination with Bruce Brown uh and how they were able to have the veteran presence around Christian Brown which allowed him to uh thrive um and Brown losing that veteran presence you've seen what's happened this year he is hasn't had been surrounded with that veteran presence and it has affected his play. Plus the Nuggets projecting like you were going to be a ball handling Bruce Brown kind of thing onto him coming from the off season was probably extremely unfair to, to uh, Christian Brown and has affected his play this year but this nuggets team is just simply not as good their starting lineup is amazing but the the starting lineup can only play so much and this is the per, this is the thing that i am worried about is that jokic has he needed this break he went to indianapolis and probably was the it was probably the most relaxed Thing that he he I mean even though it was really cold in Indy he it was probably the most relaxed he's been in quite a while um, and he got to hang out with Doncic and he's coming home to Denver probably going to hang out with his wife and kid and just kind of chill for a few days before the Nuggets have to get back on the beam. So w- what we're facing right now is a Nuggets team that um, has to over overly rely on its starting lineup. And this is a danger zone because, one, you've got an injury-prone Jamal Murray. Number two, you've got an injury-prone Michael Porter Jr. Three, you have got a vibes-based Nikola Jokic, who's the best player in the world. But, you know, as you saw the last three games, he was done. You know, he still played well, but he was done. He was just done. And they, the All-Star break couldn't have come quick enough. Um, and these elements coming together, uh, produced a, it produced something that was the danger sign for everyone who was a longtime observer of the Denver Nuggets. When the Nuggets even remotely let slip the rope, they just weren't good enough. And this team has needed to keep a high level of intensity playing. Some of that's the schedule. The schedule has really been against them this year. As has been pointed out by many people on Twitter, Then the schedule probably will get easier coming down the stretch. They only have two back-to-backs uh, in the last 27 games. So obviously that and, and, you know, a bunch of below 500 teams, blah, blah, blah. But the problem is the Nuggets need, should have beat Sacramento in that game before the all-star break. There was no excuse for them to give up that game. Zero. Uh, Sacramento was coming off a back-to-back, and this was their second night of a back-to-back. There was just, and that was the, of the three games the Nuggets played before the all-star break, the one against Sacramento at home was probably the most concerning of the losses because it showed that the Nuggets, if they're on, not on their game, have the tendency to lose against anyone. And the Nuggets have to be on their game all the time, wary of everything. And that sort of thing is what I like to call the lack of margin for error. A lot of the great championship teams have the ability to have some of a margin for error. You know, a lot of them, uh, uh, like, one of of the, the, the things about the Lakers teams of the early 2000s was... Shaq would often coast into the playoffs, and coasting into the playoffs, they would, eat, they would inevitably end up with a one or two seed during that run, uh, because basketball wasn't in a good place in the early 2000s. But there is, there was just this, they were able to coast, and a lot of it had to do with just they had a lot of, they were extremely well coached by Phil Jackson, and they had a, um, they had kind of this cushion, you know. They had guys, I mean, Kobe Bryant played like in a, a maniac all the time, and Shaq could take, and especially those that last title year of theirs in 2002. He, he basically took off a lot of that year with various things. And um, they got into the playoffs and Shaq was able to dominate. But they had a margin for error. Um, this Nuggets team, as displayed by... Certain stretches of this year, not only the last three games before the All-Star break, um, have showed that they just do not have that margin. That margin does not exist for these Denver Nuggets. They are not the same team, primarily because they don't have that dog player. They do not have the guy that gives him that intangible. Um, there is no player on this roster who is going to replace what Bruce Brown did, and it's not necessarily Bruce Brown the player, but Bruce Brown the guy that is is going to just be that guy he's going to be the asshole he's going to be the dog on the court he's going to keep the energy up he's going to do all those things that you need in a championship team the nuggets lost that and now they look kind of like vulnerable you know there's a lot of things that can be true at once and uh you can i can say all this stuff and still think the nuggets will be all right but I can also point to these things as warning signs. And we have a hard time just kind of looking at this stuff and, and having nuance. I've already established that I just do not like the way the Nuggets came into this year. It was it was an arrogant way the Nuggets approached this year. Um, you do not devote time to develop, developing when you have a very short window of time for your championship thing. I will maintain that. Um... Hopefully, I will be gladly be proven wrong on that, and uh, you can all like point and laugh at me. I will gladly take that if the Nuggets are winning their second title on a row. But this, the Nuggets just came into this year and didn't. I don't. I don't think they had the right mindset. They don't think they had the right approach. And I think that what has happened through this year is is the Nuggets came to a, a realization. Later on, that they didn't have the requisite players because they were hard capped, as I pointed out in the last podcast, to uh, overcome what they need to overcome which is the challenges of the season being long the challenges of teams getting better and the challenges of adapting to your circumstances as they are right now and the nuggets just couldn't do that they're hard capped they had no wiggle room and they have a lot of decisions heading into this off season that they probably will be better positioned for but it's not necessarily going to be something that's going to be um easily remedied there's going to be have to some hard decisions are going to be have to be made this land next offseason but they can move and we'll be discussing that when we get into the offseason so the nuggets are going to have to play not perfect basketball but the starters are going to have to carry a magnificently large load because the nuggets currently sit at the uh, fourth seed in the conference with 19 losses and they've already lost the season series to the thunder. They have uh they have three more games left with the uh, Timberwolves. Um their conference record is not good. Um they still have games against the Clippers left and this this scenario is not setting up very well for the Denver Nuggets in order to have rest going into the next part of the season like they did last year. One of the reasons the Nuggets kind of looked iffy heading down the stretch is that they had such a large cushion on the rest of the conference that they could kind of coast. And they kind of played meh towards coming down the stretch, but they were kind of taking it off. And I pointed that out over and over and over last year. If you're a listener of this podcast, this is different. The Nuggets are in the fourth seed. They're having to battle and they are having they are not going to get that that rest that really kind of queued them up for the first round, second round and third round last year. They're going to have to dog this out. And even though their schedule is not exactly what you would call tough coming down the stretch in these 27 games, they're going to have to play, actually play all of these games. They're going to have to commit to these games. You cannot, in my view, you cannot be a Denver Nuggets team that enters into this next year in the, excuse me, into the postseason. You're not, you cannot be one of those teams that enters into the postseason on a, uh, in a fourth seed. That really opens up a lot of potential problems that you don't want to face. Uh, in my view, it's first, second, or third seed bust or bust or the Nuggets because uh, being a fourth seed heading into these playoffs against a conference that is much improved is uh, you're setting yourself up for a bad scenario and you're setting yourself up for disappointment. All right, in the second half of the podcast, I'm going to talk to you about uh, something I'm going to be writing about on Denver Stiffs here in, in the next month or so. Um, but I'm going to talk about it now because there was another uh, another article by uh, one Sherwood Strauss that, that upset me. So uh, we'll be talking about that in the second half of the podcast. But first, I'm going to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines. Located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazie in Beaver lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Field or in the military block. They're always online at BFWColorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. Uh, whether you want to go in and have like a good vibe uh, before you go in, you know, like maybe in the afternoon. They open at 1 o'clock. You know, maybe go down. You're hanging out with some friends in your lower downtown. Go in, have a glass of wine, have a good afternoon. The, the Dairy Block is a really great place. We're gonna have a stretch of really great weather here, and uh, this is we're really into false we're, we're into fall spring right now in Colorado. So get out, enjoy the weather. Uh, if you're going down for dinner, there's a bunch of great restaurants in the lower downtown. Pre-game it, have your uh, glass of so Pinot, have, your, uh, have yourself a glass of the Cabernet there. All are very good. They also have partnerships with Western Slope Wineries that um, really gives you a taste of Colorado. Uh, they also have a location in Fort Collins and a location in uh, Golden. Then they additionally have their original location in Sonoma County, California. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the Dairy Block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanche Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. In 1995, the NBA had its last major expansion, which was the Canadian expansion to Vancouver and toronto now if you are an avid listener of the mortcast you will note that i have referred to this moment uh, a lot in um, when i'm talking about the history and quality of play of the nba and there's an importance to that moment um it was an over expansion um no offense to the canadian teams toronto still exists vancouver moved to uh memphis which is part was was part of a, a a a uh Uh, a venture in the 2000s that David Stern had to make uh, the NBA a a big player in one-horse towns. And I'll I'll be writing about that too myself. But the Canadian expansion was one of those things that I really think people underestimate as something that was damaging to the league. It was the Jordan expansion. The Canadian expansion was the Jordan expansion. Uh, You had the first three titles, of, of the Jordan era and the NBA hit a popularity peak it had not seen. And it was going to hit another peak in the last Jordan year in 1998. The problem of what happened was the NBA overexpanded. There was not enough uh, talent in the league to expand to 29 teams, which is what happened in the Canadian expansion in 1995. Once again, no offense to the, any of the fans of these Canadian teams. The NBA was inevitably going to expand into Toronto and uh, Vancouver, but they probably did it too early. There was only one more expansion, and that was in 2002 when there was a complicated thing going on with George Shin, who was the owner of the Charlotte Hornets. The town tried to forcibly take the team from him and force him to sell the team um, or give up the team because of some sexual harassment issues that he had had in in charlotte uh was not a good owner and what had happened was david stern stepped in and said i can't allow you to do that and he allowed shin to move the hornets to new orleans but promised the uh the uh City of Charlotte an expansion team, which turned into the Charlotte Bobcats, as they were known at the time, in uh, 2003. Then they, of course, later changed their name to the Charlotte Hornets. I bring that all up to say, the NBA has not expanded since 2003. And really, the last official expansion that didn't have a caveat to it was 1995. And one of the things that has been clear to most observers of the NBA has been the the there's 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 actually too much concentrated talent in this league. And it's weird to say that. And when you you say that sort of thing, people look at you weird. But in reality, it is 100 percent true. The the NBA has actually too much talent and it needs to get the NBA needs to get worse to get better. And one way you can get worse is to expand. Um, a lot of the, the, the issues that the NBA currently has from market size to um, all of this stuff centers around the issues the league had in the mid-2000s when they moved out of Seattle, when they moved out of Vancouver, when they moved you know, initially out of Charlotte, when they, when they invested in the one-horse town thing strategy which left them with oklahoma city memphis um, and new orleans and really what they did was they cut out their middle and invested in the bottom markets in the nba well what that did was kind of affect ratings and because there's no centralized national tv thing and everyone had to rely on rsn's and all this stuff it was decentralized largely and what that did was it really hurt the nba ratings and it got corroded more and more and more aside from the initial lebron in uh uh, miami era it got corroded and diffuse so much that the nba has not recovered and the pandemic really was a whammy that the nba had has had to deal with in terms of tv ratings you know Sherwood Strauss is out here, like doing his confirmation bias. Uh, this is what happens when you know blah blah blah, um, and pointing to the fact that the the um, all star was a, a lifeless game. I mean, who who the hell cares? No one cares. No one cares, including the players and including the executives about the all star game. No one cares, and you know what? Here's a here's a secret, folks. No one cared back in the day either. No one has ever cared about this. the The game has always been terrible, always. People were complaining about the game back in the nineties, okay. The few highlights were Magic Johnson coming back in nineteen ninety two, I think, um, and maybe the the Kobe game in nineteen ninety eight. that maybe that's when that was. Other than that, people just don't give a shit. And you know what? That means nothing. But coming back to the expansion, um, the NBA needed to expand 10 years ago. And the reason they didn't was because of two things that I will write about more in full in the coming months. The Maloofs in Sacramento... Uh, really were terrible owners who tried to sell to a, a, a man and a hedge fund owner named, uh, uh, investor, excuse me, named uh, Chris Hansen. Not that Chris Hansen, this is just a regular guy, Chris Hansen, and uh, sell to him and, and, and to get the team to move to Seattle. And the NBA, David Stern in particular, stopped that from happening. Now, it was great for the the city of Sacramento. I'm not disputing that. Um, But that was 2013. David Stern retired in 2014. Another thing that happened in 2014 was they signed a new TV deal. The NBA, particularly Stern, invested a lot of time in keeping the Kings in Sacramento. And because the NBA learned the wrong lessons from the Canadian expansion in 1995 and, and, and folks, let me tell you something. It was terrible. The, the, if you, if you look at the, there's a line of demarcation. And if you, if you were alive at the time, you know, this, the quality at play in the NBA took such a dip in 1995. It was unbelievable. And then it took another dip, believe it or not, in 2000, what was it? 2015, 16. And uh, that was when a whole bunch of teams were following the the lead of uh, the Philadelphia 76ers and openly tanking. And um, so the league sees these things and they make adjustments, but they often panic. The NBA needed to expand in 2014. They needed to expand before the last TV deal was signed. They needed to do it because the talent in the league has become far, far, far too concentrated. and and it has become far too easy to what it's done is it kind of has equalized everything and you're thinking jeff that's a that's a good thing equalization and is is parity and parity is good for leagues um not necessarily for the nba the nba does not thrive on parity they thrive in narrative they thrive in story and they thrive in teams being excellent um, there was a small, small bump with the Golden State Warriors and their dynasty um, your average NBA fan loves night dynasties because your average NBA fan is young so it is not like football which has uh, which is a centralized TV deal where everyone gets to see the same thing plus um, everyone splits the same amount of money plus it is it is very, the mediocrity of the league, of the NBA of the NFL, is baked in. People don't care that the quality of football has just been basically garbage for a long time right now. They don't care because it's the most popular sport. It gets papered over. The NBA has no such luxury. The NBA needs to have a more diffuse league. And the NBA needs to have its talent spread out a little more thinly than it is. And which is why I think I'm not b- breaking any news here when I say that it's inevitable that the uh, league will expand into uh, Seattle and uh, Las Vegas here and when it expands again. Um, but this needed to be done 10 years ago because what has happened is ESPN has continued to erode, lose uh, ratings, ratings. Lay off people and devolve into hot takery. Um, the media deal has the, the NBA has result, resorted to gimmicks, And one of those gimmicks has been the uh, the end-season tournament, And another gimmick has been a heavily inv- heavily investment in heavy investment into the, an all-star game no one cares about. All these factors have come together. But in reality, the, nugget, the Nuggets, the the NBA needed to invest in having a an expand a, a, an owner in not Las Vegas and an owner in Seattle give the team, give the league a couple billion dollars to have expansion rights, opt out of the TV deal for a certain amount of time, and and really expand into markets they are not currently expanded into. Seattle has been dearly missed since 2008. Uh, I think the NBA is cognizant of that now. But coming back to 2014, the, David Stern spent so much time keeping the, uh, the, the Kings in Sacramento. He had a personal stake, and maybe this is breaking news, he had personal stake in not allowing Seattle to do what it was going to do and uh, you know, moving the Kings to Seattle. And a lot of that had to do with Stern's initial move from Seattle to uh, Oklahoma City. But a lot of that had to do with this small one-horse town market thing that he was deeply, deeply invested in. And I think one of the things that Adam Silver has realized is that the, the NBA cut off its nose despite its face. There are... There's markets in the NBA in, in, within the league that they're a one-horse town where, you know, obviously that matters in terms of seats and local ratings, but it really hurts the league nationally. There's not enough people to boost ratings. Not enough people care in those one-horse town cities to make a difference. So the, the, the league, I think, is looking at this saying, we got to do something. And when they eventually expand, which is, uh, you know, like I said, it's been widely reported for a long time that it'll be Seattle and Las Vegas. When it happens, it'll be desperately needed, but it needed to be happening 10 years ago. As ever, the NBA either is five years ahead or five years behind, and it turns out it was that way again. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest Mordcast. I'm going to be back on Wednesday with another episode. Goodbye.